0: In our first episode, Andrew is joined by Thomas Ryan, founder of Asymmetric Response, a boutique security firm. He's also a board advisor for numerous companies. Thomas specializes in cybersecurity mergers and acquisitions, special projects, red team operations, application supply chain security, and personal protection. Welcome to What The Privacy. Now, interesting thing about Tom is that our paths nearly crossed 30 plus years ago. He was a fishette, as as, as the Americans would say, who's a US sailor. And he was visiting my hometown. And of course, they all go on shore, the sailors, they all go out for a pint. I and mean, I mentioned to him about the USS Enterprise entering Plymouth. It's so big because everything's big from America. I uh, couldn't get in the port and uh, that's that's why I mentioned the USS Enterprise and I said oh yes I was walking through Union Street which is a bit of a dodgy area of Plymouth where all the pubs are and there was a an American sailor was thrown through the window of the pub uh, which of course you're going to remember if you've seen that and I mentioned this to Tom and we just suddenly found out worked out that Tom was inside the pub and I was outside the pub. Obviously, he was drinking inside the pub, and obviously, I wasn't, which mostly makes a change. But um, it's amazing how our paths cross.
1: (laughs) You not drinking—that's funny.
0: (laughs) So, uh, Tom's uh, co-founder of Asymmetric uh, Response. He's a well-versed man in cybersecurity, been in this arena for what do you say, twenty years, Tom?
1: Twenty now, a lot longer. I've been on the started as a developer in ninety five got into the cybersecurity portion in ninety nine
0: his His backstory is Bates. Harry Potter got him into cybersecurity. Expand on that
1: so back in my days of being a developer, I was working at the uh, Scholastic, the children's publishing company, and at the right. time they owned all the rights of publishing the Harry Potter books. So we were launching the first Harry Potter website in 99 and we come in one morning to find out it was hacked. And back then hacking was altogether different. It was just like site defacements. So they went and trashed you know, the site before it was officially launched on the, you go in and you get into it and you're like, we tracked down the kid in, you know, I would say roughly an hour. OK, because back then everybody had DSL and you had your own static yeah. IP address. And with that, people would host their own websites and put up silly things like their email and their phone number. So it was very easy to track down the person. And me and my coworker gave him um, an interesting phone call.
0: Tell us about Robin's age, because it's just a brilliant uh, idea. You've even got a whole Wikipedia page on it, which I didn't realize he had a whole Wikipedia page on it.
1: Yeah, well, the funny part is, the bad part about Wikipedia is anybody can go in and add their name to it. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's not so easy to go in and edit and replace them. So that's the funny part about Wikipedia. Um, So what happened was, uh, this is going back around Christmas, the day after Christmas of uh, 2009, I said, this is going to be a little fun trip. And I started creating this whole fake persona. You know, because I've I've always hated social media. But in a weird way, if you own a business, it's a necessary evil. Um, You need it for marketing. So I said, all right, let's see how much data I can gather from this, from doing a little OSINT. Right? So I started digging into it. And back then, the two big ones were Facebook and MySpace. And it was also interesting to watch the pattern of the growth. So when I first started this, there was... 250 million people on Facebook. Okay, so think of that. And I said, all right, let me start targeting specific people. The ones that pop up in my feed all the time are cybersecurity professionals and uh, ex-military. With that being said, I said, all right, let's see what data is there. Oh, look, I can get EXIF data. So, you know, image embedded inside of the images. With that going a little bit forward, I said, all right, Let me make something brutally honest. No. I wouldn't say honest, brutally deceptive. Okay, and see how well people, you know, research the people they connect to. So I picked a name of Robin Sage from the training exercise, you know, pretty much get your Ranger tab. And then I looked it up. I'm like, wait, this is even going to be more funny because I looked up. I did a quick background check on it. There were no women named Robin Sage okay it was usually men in their 60s that really had that name <laughs> and nexus took on the character of how do i get this picture you know what entices hackers so i took a picture off a soft core porn website and used that as the persona and then i did a little OSINT on her and picked up her facebook page boom 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 And use that as the whole persona to see who would connect. So I opened up the standard ones back then. So I opened up a Twitter, I opened up a Facebook, I opened up a LinkedIn, all to see who would go and connect, see who did actual research. So for 28 days, I felt what it was like to be a woman on the Internet, which was, um, it makes you realize some men are so stupid. Okay. (laughs) And, And then you start to realize the reputational risk management that's, you know, out there from that, from the pictures you post, from the things you say, for how good some people are at OSINT that knew exactly where the pictures were taken in a park. Um, also, how quick people pick up on a fake profile and because it's not voiced out through the community, nobody, nobody else picks up on it. There was no ways of banning accounts so easily back then, and things have changed a bit. Now you could spin up whole armies and they won't pick up on it.
0: I mean, at 2009, that's a different lifetime, isn't it? I mean, that's, and you go on about how, how stupid men are. It's It doesn't matter even what role you're doing, what level of intelligence. They all have that same level of stupidity to click on it as well, or to interact. or it, And if you, if you think about all the people we deal with, I mean, we must be in the top 1% of the population that understand what's going on and get frustrated with the other 99% of the population that still ignore what's all the security practices that you need to do in order to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. But that Robin Sage one, which I was looking at on Wikipedia, I was, I was thinking, oh, there's been a lot of um, work on it to create this false persona. It's quite, it's very convincing.
1: Oh, that, that was... Very convincing. Think of that as the test bed for when I would do red teams and stuff. That was like the most lightweight one. I had one that ran for wow, it ran for seven years before it got taken down. And that one, from an influence perspective, had 18,000 followers on LinkedIn.
0: Did he take it down, or was it we forced to take it down? Um, it was no. like a project for you, and you just stopped it
1: no linkedin took it down because okay. it got report it got reported because they didn't like some of the content that it was pushing and then they said "Prove who you are by sending a copy of your driver's license and i'm like yeah i'm not going to take this to next steps let's just leave it alone
0: but the irony is we got a picture of your driving license you don't know about it anyway
1: yeah pretty much because they everybody well i don't know about over there over here the driver the the good old DMVs, um, they all sell your data, and most people don't realize that.
0: Yeah, the DVLA of here, Driving Vehicle License Agency, they sell our data to car parks, clampers. And there's a few court cases going through the UK with the NCP where drivers, I think uh, the Transport Secretary in the UK has to give authority for the DVLA to allow data to be sold to a commercial organization or well, i think it's uh, the 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 blue light services are allowed to have access to it anyway so there's a big gray area that is the tr- transport um minister of transport actually allowed to sell it commercially and it you know because it is it, my i i got a, a ticket for parking uh, down near Hertfordshire the other day and i was fuming they even got my phone number and then I got a ticket at Wolverhampton railway station. I'd actually paid, because I, I didn't have much of my my telephone, I keep apps off it. I actually paid at the machine and obviously the billing mechanism didn't uh, line up. So I got a really threatening letter through. So I phoned up and I just said, I'm not going to pay, even though I had a bank statement to say I paid. And I played it out, um, but I was more annoyed that they had my PI and, you know they knew everything about me down to my inside leg measurement so um yeah it's I think the government's gone too far privacy privacy doesn't
1: exist anyway does it no I've always looked at it as privacy died with social media
0: yeah the last time privacy you say privacy I say privacy the last time privacy existed maybe it was with our great-grandparents and they were, they mostly were found out on the census anyway. So, you know, that's the only, uh, all the local taxes. But that, that was proper privacy. But um, that's why you all migrated to America, Tom, to get away from it.
1: No, we were the first
0: Brexit. <laughs> not, God, it'd be melting up. So what are you doing this week? Because it, you've, um, you've been a pretty busy um, chap this week, haven't you?
1: Yeah, it's... Uh... It's always the after effect of everything, so. You know, closing Bell Friday, Microsoft announced how they've been get the got popped. Now everybody's scared about everything that Microsoft that they own, so everybody runs scans. They said, oh, I have a vulnerability here. I'm like, yeah, you've had that for a while. I said, because you don't do proper updates. And then it, it's like everybody goes in paranoia mode. And there was a great article, you know, I'm kind of shocked I'm going to say this, but in the Washington Post. And they, they kind of warned us that, you know, it was Microsoft and HPE last week. And they said there's 10 more coming out this week. Well, over the next few weeks. So the only other one I saw that came out so far and had nothing to do with Microsoft was Cloudflare. And that one was interesting because, uh, it was thanksgiving's Thanksgiving's well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Thanksgiving one, yeah.
1: And the, these are all the after effects, the daisy chain effect from when somebody gets breached. And this was tied yeah. to Okta. And when Okta got breached, you saw a lot of people that got quite uh, angry. So you had Tenable, you had CrowdStrike. Um, I know every every customer I have that has Okta was kind of fuming about it because it all started off with the MGM hack, because the MGM hack showed a bunch of new hacks that were inside of Okta. But when you look at the legacy of it, it was the December of the year before, when Okta's source code got breached from a GitHub repo. And once you have the source code, you have the keys to the kingdom for a while. You know, sort yeah. of like, like in 2021, December 2021, when Microsoft's Exchange, soft you know code got hacked um, from their github repo and now you started to see the trickle down effect of everything after that
0: so. Yeah, i mean I, I wrote on i wrote on this morning about the thanksgivings one and cloud Fair, mm-hmm. and the ceo um matt prince um what did he say trespass trespasses were ejected next day so even though they had it on thanksgivings day they and it was through a was it confirmed that their their Jira systems was accessed by an Atlassian server by a State Nation's actor, um, and they confirmed that no client data or systems were compromised. What I never can't get my head around, um, well, and I understand why they do do it, is that it happened on Thanksgiving's Day, and then they what's what's the date today? Second uh, of February, first of February, yesterday. They announced it on the first of February. Yeah, so. Why does it take? Why does it take three months, two months to announce it?
1: Because it's just you have to remember when they say the time to announce it, it's usually um, what, you know after an investigation's done and they can measure the impact. You know everyone thinks, oh yes, we found out we got pop. Let's tell them in two days, and then we have our lovely legal friends that. They're great at figuring out when the right time to report is and to protect us and to see when we're going to get hit with an SEC investigation. And also, don't forget to be fair to Cloudflare. If you remember, Okta said that there was only one customer that was compromised when their customer support system got hit. And then I believe it was December or January where they came, you know, they, no, it was December. They came clear and says, no, it was this number of uh, customers. Yeah, so that was interesting. So I'm going to put them as a candidate for the ones getting the SEC investigation in November, because the SEC loves throwing out their big investigations in November. The first one was Uber. Then November of 2023 was SolarWinds. So we have a bet as to who it's going to be for 2024.
0: What about um, MoveIt, the file transfer company? I know that's a zero-day vulnerability, which could be viewed slightly different. But again, there's still MoveIt impacts going along, aren't there? The universities are still suddenly announcing we've been impacted by the MoveIt breach. Let's be realistic.
1: Universities have been a joke with their cybersecurity posture since I got in this industry. They were always the favorite jump point. Boom, pop on there and jump somewhere else. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it's at. I mean, I I sat on a couple of university boards. And I think my biggest gripe with universities is one of two things. One, the stuff that they teach is. Kind of old. The yeah. other the, and then you're not really training the next generation of professionals. And I blame that on two things. One is professors are not allowed to work in most places I visited. Most professors are not allowed to work in industry. The only ones that are allowed to work in industry are the adjunct professors. So if you're not working in industry, how are you going to remain current? um, With all, all the stuff that changes, I mean. I'm not a young, I'm not a young chicken here. And yet I still have to. I would say a minimum of twenty hours a month of training on all new stuff because it's constantly changing in this industry.
0: When I talk to universities, we we've got a number of universities we look after. Uh, uh, some of them had to be trained on the data side. You know what? What's the you know, So what if we got compromised? Why aren't you saying that? Um, um, is it Noib the um, forum? Uh, Jennifer posted it over to me about GDPR and the success or lack of success on GDPR taken up and the, the also the different um, interpretations of GDPR It's like the different interpretations of what a material breach is in the States, um, which uh, with reference to the SEC regulations, so if it's a material breach you have to announce it in how many is it, 92 hours? If I got that right?
1: I think it's seventy two, um, but the, it's supposed to be three days. But the f- funny part about that is you're not learning about GDPR and all of that stuff in a cybersecurity class, you're learning about it in a legal class. Yeah. I always feel yeah. like I went in the wrong industry. I should have become an attorney in this in this industry. Because man do they make money. And man do they hold up so, sales deals from going through reviewing contracts.
0: <laughs> Yeah, you need a you need a lawyer who understands the different colours of grey. That's what you need. <laughs> I mean, going back to the material breach uh, one, bleeping computers, a, a story that was from last week. We posted it about an organisation called Keenan Associates um, had a breach on Sunday, the twenty seventh of August, twenty twenty three, and they just pushed out a letter. To all their customers to saying they were compromised so the cynical bit i would think is that well it took a long time for them to define whether it was a material breach i know it started in december the 15th but they had august to december now to december to november well i'm sure december to november is more than 92, oh, 72 hours so you kind of think do, do they care about telling customers do they, care, you know?
1: they don't care. It's not that they don't care about it. It's like I said, it's the whole reputational risk management. Like how many people will up and leave if they've lost their data? All right. Because the one thing that's been kind of vocal, and I'm going to go back to Oct on this one, is you start seeing CEOs of companies complaining about why they're not notified even privately of that. and and you'll see them complaining about this on linkedin where the ceo actually writes these letters and it's like Mm -hmm. hmm. you know like when the microsoft stuff happened the first person i saw one was from uh, the ceo of crowdstrike and then the ceo of tenable and if you know these are well-known people in the industry and if you're having ceos complaining about this um it's kind of interesting because (laughs) Microsoft. What they did was they waited until after 4 p.m. because they had just mentioned that they went over the three trillion dollar mark as far as a company value.
0: It's timing, isn't it? Yeah, it's and,
1: and it, it's a, it's always about timing. And if you publish anything at four four, you know, between four and five on a Friday, everybody's forgotten about it by Monday.
0: Yeah, because they went it, out for a I few mean... pints. <laughs> Yeah, mine starts in two hours' time. It's just a couple. (laughs) But it is true. People do forget about stories. Mind you, the seller wins one is still plugging along. Everyone remembers the Uber story with a CISO going through the court. Move it. Move it is just still in the news. Log4J, that's that's gone quiet. But people are still running vulnerabilities. And then then you go everywhere.
1: That's the funny part. You know I, I get on calls weekly about that and I, i've shown them it's like well, oh, we don't have it i'm like here let me show you from an osin platform i'll identify the machines that you have that are publicly exposed the biggest the biggest thing they tell you is you don't know, know what you have okay do you know where all your yeah. assets are and if you don't have like a cmdb that keeps track of all of them you're in trouble because you'll have, especially the larger corporations, they'll have marketing teams for each line of business that randomly go spin up things. they may hold an event, so they're gonna spin up a registration platform on WordPress to capture all the information, right? Once they have all that information, it's like, okay, where is it? Is it in a secure environment? I mean, I can't remember anybody having a secure WordPress but yet we still use it. I'm, mean, And being realistically, thinking realistically, it's like hell, 90% of the security companies run their websites on WordPress, but they're not collecting information.
0: Um, WordPress, one of the most compromised um, platforms with most vulnerabilities, it's always in the news. It's, uh, it's the same for a lot of products out there. Um, it's interesting. I mean, how how the market moves along as well. I mean, last year we were talking about zero trust and that's been kind of assigned to the bucket because we're now getting on the AI um, bandwagon. How it's gonna <laughs> save us all, how it's gonna spot spot hackers because we're gonna aggregate all the data. But, you know, the hackers are ahead of us anyway. They're clever people. They're using I mean, AI to aggregate all the data that they've got. So um
1: so here, here's how AI has impacted cybersecurity. One, from a red teamer's perspective, you can spin up fake sites and everything else that much faster. You used to have to allocate a week or two to spin everything up, clone stuff, have it up and running. You can have it done in two hours now. All right, yeah. that, that's that particular scenario. Now the deep fake scenario. Okay, and this one I've dealt with on super yachts where they'll – you know, deep fake the CEO's voice because they're out there talking and they'll go in and say, yeah, I need to change my weeks doing it or the yacht I'm using. Um, and then they have to send the money back. This is normal admin that runs the office and they, they'll say, here, transfer the money to this account. All of a sudden the, the yachting business is out 100, 200, $300,000. That's one scenario. Um, another scenario we saw just happen over here in the U.S. with the elections last week over in New Hampshire. Somebody cloned uh, Joe Biden's voice. And yeah. what, what they did was they used a, you know, a teledialing service and literally just called up everyone telling them not to vote using a deep fake mm-hmm. of his voice. And I think that's going to be more common in the elections coming up um saying oh they made this they made this campaign they've done this one they've done this one i mean i really i got pulled into a law firm just
0: hold just, just hold your thought there mm-hmm. so they might have phoned everyone up with this deep fake voice where do they get the list of telephone numbers or the people that they had to phone was it from data brokers was it from access from the the dark web. Well, I hate using that word, dark web. The, uh, the, the forums. The eighty-five thousand terabytes are out there, or was it? Did they purchase the data? You know, so they got to, they got to, they got a ready pool of data anyway to use. Um, yeah.
1: They, the, the, so here's the thing. Everybody forgets that somebody uses a third party service, and was that third party service compromised?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's one scenario. The other scenario is did they report that they were compromised?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. And since we're so free and open and transparent over here in the States, you can go to the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, um, and look up donations from people. And if you actually look at their donations, there may be some PII there.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah so 99 percent of the the breaches we load up don't even make the media people don't even know about it i don't even know if the companies know about it if they do know about it do they tell anyone so it comes back to the you know comes back to my data being compromised i don't know about it yeah it's just and the amount of calls i get from salespeople, salespeople in our industry and from outside the industry is just increased um no, your right.
1: platform is interesting because it allows you to focus on the company, not just the singular person. And then when you're looking at it from a company structure, now ev- this is where I don't like you because evil me would like that for my red team stuff. Yeah. Um. Say here, can I have the usernames and password dumps of these? No, because you always say that bad four letter word to me, GDPR. Nope, sorry, can't. Got to get permission.
0: No, no yeah. Is, uh, how many letters and consent? Seven. <laughs> it's all consent. But they, I mean, it's amazing the the, the companies that um, say, oh, our data's the new oil, which is a quote going back to um, some professor who said, data's the new oil, but he meant unref- unrefined oil. And then when they want our data, they, they don't want to pay for it because they don't see any value from it. So I, I I've got a customer who went to see a big organization. And they they showed their exposure, their risk exposure of mm-hmm. compromised credentials quite in the thousands, and the IT people said, oh, "I don't worry about it. Yeah, we know about that." You know, so it just shows you the attitude towards what they think about data. There's more, as I say. I always there's a there's a big proportion of people in our industry just focus on the technology enable and the sexy stuff. You know, the fake the fake Taylor Swift. Um <laughs> oh, be right. making it, you know, that's more exciting than the data stuff, isn't it? So until it happened,
1: to, until it happens to them, and that's what everybody forgets. And that was going back to the Robin Sage thing. What the few things I started doing. So I had gotten off. I had met up with Roloff Temming at the time, back in 2010 from MultiGo. And what we were doing was we we're saying, okay, let's show them what you could do with this data. Right. And I always tell people the most dangerous thing you can hand somebody is your business card, name, email, phone number. From that, you can literally find out a lot about someone. Now, the absolute most dangerous thing you can ever hand somebody is a resume. Okay. Think of how many resumes are floating out there. And the reason for that is you have your name, your email, your real home address your um at your job history so you know the format of their email from every job that they've had and if you put that into an OSIN tool I will literally be able to find out anything you've ever said on the internet.
0: I I I, I love I we've got a mutual friend who who uses that service delete me and mm-hmm. he pays them twenty-five dollars or I don't know. And um I was talking to a brokerage in the UK about delete me. Uh, because he says he gets customers asking him to delete the data. He said by the delete by the time they deleted their data, it will be back up next week. So means mm-hmm. privacy does not exist. It's up to you how you manage your own privacy.
1: Right, because um, the one thing everybody forgets, they they delete its current state. So they delete it at the current state. The next time you pay your bills, it could yeah. be your electric bill, your rent, your mortgage, your credit cards. As soon as you pay that next bill, they're already sending that out to, you know, credit agencies, which are really data brokers. Okay, so they now have all your information, and they'll make sure it's updated because guess what? Your real name and address are there. Yeah, That's why that $25 is nothing. I think the best service from Delete Me is like $200 a year, yeah. you know, from for the premium yeah, I might,
0: one. I might got the… Uh... Price wrong, but I'm known for exaggerating. Any stories this week that you've seen that besides the Microsoft Opta Cloud Fair?
1: No, this has been, this week is probably my busiest week. That's why we had to get together kind of early in the morning. Uh, yeah, it's been a hectic. And then, yeah, oh, wait, the, the other interesting one this week, the other interesting story this week was when you had the head of the FBI basically outright saying, just be prepared for China will probably hit us right before they hit Taiwan because they have yeah. the, their ins and all the critical infrastructure. And then, what havoc will that bring? You know, are you prepared for that?
0: What action will actually be taken, or will we just kind of sleepwalk into? What's going to happen? But they've been they've been talked about that for years, uh, haven't they? Right. So... I mean, they've been ta- I'll give
1: you an example. Back in two thousand three, when I was working for a government agency, they literally that was the first thing that came up in two thousand three that China yeah. was the one that did the new, big New York City blackout that went on for oh, three okay. days. Yeah. You know that that was whether real or conspiracy theory. Who knows? You know what they say.
0: I think How the was... funny one I saw this. I think the funny one I saw this week for the one I discussed with you, anyone, which you called a honeypot, was the um, Interpol Argentina office data being dumped or uh, being dumped on a forum. Then it made Twitter, and then it was eventually taken down, or a bit slow taking it down. But that time, everyone had downloaded the the credentials anyway. It's just kind of there's so much going on in our industry from from a hacking perspective, it's the actual sheer volume that people just can't keep up with. Um because it's that, automation. Yeah, the whole thing yeah.
1: is automation. And then going back to the AI stuff, when when you start doing your intelligence gathering for, you know, who the suspected adversaries are, and we and we've started to see this a lot in phishing emails. Usually the dialect and the way they would Write them out. You were you're able to tell you can literally go into chat GPT. And tell them to write it out with a a specific personality type with a specific dialect and everything else like that. So when you start going through semantic analysis to, you know, try and determine who a person is. That's pretty much gone because how many people have used that same piece to write their LinkedIn profiles? Yeah, Okay. yeah. And now I, I've seen whole entire companies and I've pointed this one out to you before. Whole entire companies built with AI and they're all bots on LinkedIn.
0: So being so the positive thing about my about my poor English and being dyslexic is that I've written my own profile and it's got typos over there and doesn't really make sense. So. Yeah, it's the first time I've actually thought about being a dyslexic. It's been quite positive. I can't be no, copied. <laughs> I
1: guarantee. I guarantee. No, because here's the other thing: a lot of people don't know. If you use an NLP command, and if I took a paper that you wrote, that you didn't clean up, I can now have it speak like you all the time. So it'll take in that dyslexia. It'll take in that personality type, whatever. And the two personality types it works out best best with. It's like an MBTI or a disk. So if your personality type was a disk D, it can go in and pretty much write it out like you're, you're the supreme alpha, but you're not.
0: So what I'm doing now, I'm just taking a piece of text that I've written. I'm going to chuck it into one of the AI machines. Rewrite it as a dyslexic and see what it says. No, it's actually got no spelling mistakes on it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a stupid exercise. Anyway, Tom, thanks for your time today.